All right, everyone. Welcome to Magnifying God. I am your host, Adam Michael. And today we have a wonderful series going on. And uh, this series specifically is uh, from a book called Prepare to Overcome. Prepare to Overcome. And we're tackling the first section of Prepare to Overcome, which uh, deals with equipping the saints. Now, before Prepare to Overcome was ever written, what first came out was Preparing the Saints, which is a workbook. All right, so this first section actually is straight from the workbook for the most part. Uh, and uh, that's what we're going through right now. We're going through the workbook, Preparing the Saints. And we have hit chapter 8, chapter 8, and this one is on healing. And it's actually very controversial. A lot of people, when it deals with healing, what happens is people use their experience to trump what Scripture truly says about healing. But before we get into that, I will recap some of the other chapters that we've uh, covered. We started out with Rebuilding the Walls. Then we moved on to the kingdom of God, then to repentance, then the Holy Spirit, and then identity, authority, and words. And now we are on healing. Now healing in the uh, the Preparing the Saints book is a part one and a part two. And also in the Prepare to Overcome, it's the same. So healing is always a hot topic and... uh, it starts out, this specifically this workbook starts out, and uh, on the healing chapter, and the scripture verse is in 2 Timothy 2.15, and it says, you Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And a lot of people are like, well, wait, why does that have to do with healing? Like, what does that have to do with healing? Well, the rightly handling the word of truth. See, what I mentioned before is a lot of people use their experiences to trump scripture. It's their opinion versus the truth. And unfortunately, their opinion does not matter. Their opinion in essence, is pride. Because they're saying their opinion is above Scripture. And that is not true at all. And they'll let their experience dictate what they perceive as what Scripture's truly saying. And that's not what it's saying at all. And that's why when we're dealing with healing, we have to really dive into what Scripture's saying about healing. For instance, is it today? Well, the answer is yes, of course it's for today. Because if Jesus lives in you and you have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he, his ministry is still living on through us. And he even says this. Not only will you do these things, the miracles, and all the things that Jesus was doing on earth, but greater works you will do. With that being said, I'm staring at a picture Now, this picture that's in this workbook is that of, it looks like a fallen pawn, a fallen pawn. And that pawn is actually kind of grayed down, or what I was hoping for is oppressed, oppressed by the enemy. So they're falling down, they're under attack. And then you have a white pawn that is moving closer to them. And then that's what, when you're dealing with healing... And that's what it is, because when people are getting attacked by the enemy, whether it be from a mental standpoint, whether it be from a physical standpoint, anyone that was brought to Jesus' feet was healed. When Jesus walked into a city, he healed everybody. And so when you start tackling these scriptures, you start figuring out, what God has to say about healing. It's like the leper. The the leper is like, if it's your will to heal me. And Jesus says, it is my will. So that will 
is actually who God is. That, that, that is a huge page from a definition standpoint. It's like almost an entire page of what that will actually stands for. That stands for who he is and what he represents. It's like, will you heal me, Lord? Well, yes, I'm the great physician. That's just who I am. It's not a matter of yes and no. It's a matter of this is just who I am. That's what his will, of course, is to heal. If he is the great physician, you go to him. If you want a second opinion, you really need his opinion. That's it. And then it's diving into those types of scriptures that you start seeing what his will is for you. Because a lot of people will sit there and be like, well, if it's God's will to heal me, well, he's the great physician. And if you look at his track record, he healed everybody in the city. And that's a big, sometimes that's a big pill to swallow. A lot of people will disagree with that because they will use their experience. Well, I prayed for so-and-so and that person didn't get well. It must have not been God's will. No, that's not it at all. Now, how you even pray and what you truly believe, that's going to dictate this idea of faith. So faith is the evidence of things unseen. And faith, working through love, will be accomplished. Why? Because love never fails. Now, but faith isn't, I will tell you, faith is not this. Well, Lord... If it's your will to heal them, that's not faith, because faith is believing. Faith is, it's done. Why? Because it was accomplished 2,000 years ago on the whipping post. By his stripes, we're healed. He took our sicknesses and our diseases. That's one of the benefits of the Lord. And it's believing it. And walking in that belief system that we will see things manifest. Now, keep in mind, I never believed this. I thought healing wasn't for today. I had an incurable disease. And then I searched the scriptures out for myself. And I saw time and time again. And I wrote down all the healing scriptures. And I was like, man... There's something to this, Lord. I need you to illuminate this. Holy Spirit, I need to go to you. I don't need to go to commentaries. I don't need to go any any other source except for the author of this book. So then I went to that author, and he illuminated those scriptures for me, and he explained those scriptures to me. And I then went to the definitions of each of these words that were in scripture, what they really meant. And I found out, yes, it is for today. And then I started searching for those people that would be still doing those things today. Because, I say that because I'm not going to listen to someone describe, let's say, a bicycle. Wow, what a lovely bike. They'll teach you all the mathematics on it. They'll teach you what the axle is. They'll teach you what the pedals are. They'll teach you actually the history of how they were made and and, and how they were, who started this, the, the, um, the invention to begin with, okay? You got someone who tells you all about the bike. And then you ask, okay, well, how do you ride it? Person's like, I never read it. I've never ridden it. So now, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, you've never ridden a bike? Yet you're telling me. He's like, yeah. And they'll tell you all the history about it, but they've never ridden it. Well, you have people that are riding the bike. Well, I'm going to learn from them because I want to ride the bike too. I don't want to sit here and be in a Bible study. Not to say Bible studies are bad, but I don't want to sit here and be in a Bible study studying the word when God says, you go. You need to go. Love says go. Go into the world. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. How many people really doing that? And those people, unfortunately, are looked down upon. They, they're looked at as being, whoa, that's, that's, that's not for today. Well, that's because those people that are saying that haven't ridden the bike. 
And if they did ride, if they did ride the bike, they may have fell, fell off and said, that's it, I'm done. So the, that's why I started really looking into this for myself. And I can tell you, testimony of testimony, as far as my disease, it was healed. And I remember it like it was plain as day of how it happened. I literally felt like electricity moving up my arm all the way up to my shoulders, down into my spine, my lower back, and bam. All of a sudden, I was like, I had to sit back and be like, what just happened? Is this, is this true? You know, and then you start lining up all the little things that has happened in scripture. And you start seeing, it's like, wow, this is, this is truth. This is truth. And I can't stress this enough. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about healing, it can be very divisive because people are carrying around all these hurts, all these, these past hurts of how, let's say, they believe God took their mother, their father, their son, their daughter, took them off this planet because of, let's say, a sickness, because of a disease. But that doesn't fit the characteristic of who God is. That fits the characteristic of the enemy, Satan, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now take it from somebody, I lost a daughter. Now I lost a daughter. All right? She was taken away from me. She was killed by the enemy. Now a lot of people claim that is to be God. And then that's where you have a lot of people think to themselves, well, that's, you know, it's God's will. No, I know it's not God's will. I know it's not God's will. That's the enemy's will. And I know there's a lot of people that have been carrying around those hurts and those pains. And I'm going to tell you this, that that is not the will of God. Now, a lot of people would say, well, then why would God allow that? Well, unfortunately, we live in a fallen world. Granted, Christians aren't fallen, but because of our disobedience, we start letting this stuff in. For instance, if we start worrying, we have stress, we have anxiety, all anti-gospel, we're, we're literally our minds now in the kingdom of darkness, well, what happens with people who have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of all those things? Well, they have stomach issues. Now, all of a sudden, their stomach's hurting. Now, they have digestive problems. Now, they, now scientifically, that is proven. But spiritually, it's the spiritual nature of the problem. So if we would not be stressed, have worry, have anxiety, which people are like, oh, that's impossible to not have those. No, it is definitely possible not to have any of those. I can stand here before you and say, I don't stress. I do not worry. Why? Because my God is huge. He's gigantic. He's a humongous. He can tackle any problem. I just go to him and say, thank you, Lord. I praise you. I rejoice in you. Thank you so much for being such a great father. And Father, I know that you will deliver me from this. And I'm already praising him in advance for delivering me from a problem that I may still be in. And now all of a sudden, there's no stress. Why, why do I have to be stressed? Why do I have to have anxiety? Are you kidding? This is, these are anti-gospel. This is the opposite of what Jesus freed us from. A lot of us have a tendency to go back into the prison that we were released from. Or the door, he literally unlocks the door and, and opens it a little bit of this jail cell. And we stay in there. Or some of us, you know, like we have maybe a foot out or an arm out while the other half is still in there, okay? And that's what Jesus has come to set us free. That's why this whole book this preparing the saints, this the rebuilding of the walls, the kingdom of God, the authority, the words, all of these things are there to set you free so that you, can, you also can go and do the things that you've been called to do, your purpose. So with that being said, we have uh, Debbie Simpson on the line. And she's going to be explaining a little bit about healing. And uh, we're just going to be going back and forth here because it is a big topic. I know there's a lot of questions out there. And feel free, you can email us. I know I've got the email on the website. Feel free to email us. 
uh, at any time, and we would love to answer questions. All right. Debbie, you there? I am. All right. Uh, thank you for your patience. I did talk a lot in the beginning here. Um, and feel free. Uh, we're, we're talking about healing. Um, just give us uh, give us your take. Well, what, what Scripture has to say, I should say. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, I would like to talk about how, with regards to healing, what we've done in this chapter is we've gone into the Scriptures on it, and we have, in the most complete sense, dissected. We've gone verse by verse. We have, you know, looked at the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how. In each of those areas, we have found key words. We've done the definitions. We've done the verb tenses. What does God's word have to say about this? And God's word is clear. He makes his opinion on the ministry of healing undebatable. The definitions, the verb tenses, they all clarify this. So to to take time this morning, I feel to just repeat whatever's been laid out um, may not be the best use of our time. What I'd like to do is to take those verses and take what's been taught and let's just put that on the back burner for just a minute and let's just ask some other questions. One, one question is, do we love people enough to be willing to step out in obedience if it would mean that they would get set free from the bondage of illness, of sickness, or disease? Do we love God enough just to simply obey? We're commanded to lay hands. Whether we see immediate manifestation of a healing or not, we have done what we are called or commanded to do. It is Jesus that heals. At the end of the day, our call is just one of obedience. It's not our hands that do the healing. It's just our hands that give the Holy Spirit of God, the love of Christ, a, yeah, a path to follow into to go into the life of people and do the healing. So the question is, again, do we love God enough to step out and in obedience do what we've been called to do, and in so doing, show or prove our love for God, because he says, those who love me will keep my commands. This is a twofold love issue. This is a love issue. It's twofold. Another question. As believers, do we obey these other verses in Scripture? We all know these verses. Hebrews 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed, to the image of his son. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to match, to bear close similarity to himself. We all know that when Jesus walked into a situation and people came to him and asked, would you heal me? There was never one time recorded in the scripture where he said, no, not you. We're called to be conformed. When we get someone who calls us and asks us for prayer, because someone is sick, then what would Jesus do? Hebrews 6.20, where Jesus has entered within the veil, this is in uh, regards to the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus here came as a forerunner. <clears throat> one who comes in advance to a place where the rest are to follow. Inherent in this forerunner ministry of Christ is the expectation that believers will themselves follow in his footsteps after the pattern he has set. We see this in such verses as 1 John 4, 17, because as he is, so are we. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walks. So we, as believers, do these things in part. We all are trying hard to walk in forgiveness, to walk in obedience to, you know, doing 
um, serving other people in whatever capacity, whatever it is in your mind that you that you're doing and in your life that you're doing that in your mind you want to conform yourself to Christ. We here are asking the question in the totality of the the scriptures in the full counsel of God. Are we are we are we doing all that it's calling us to do? Or are we picking and choosing how we're going to be conformed? how we're going to follow the forerunner and what paths are we going to follow and what paths are we not? Luke 640, a disciple is not above his master, but everyone who is perfect shall be as his master. As this word as means making a reference to the similarity or to be equal to something to be like, or to be equal to. A disciple is not above his master, but he's to be equal to his master. We're not talking about the specifics of being divinity. Just sort of saying we're supposed to be divine. We're not talking that we're supposed to be God. What we're talking about is Jesus was the pattern sign. Jesus identified himself as the son of man, giving us the understanding that as the son of man, then those who like that, who are sons of men, can follow in these examples and in these patterns that she has set. Colossians 2.6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk you in him. To walk in a person is to exhibit the nature or thought of that person. The nature and thought of Jesus in a person would indicate the person to whom another is fully joined and to whose power and influence he is subject whose power and influence he is subject, you're under, we all say we want to be Romans 6, the bond servant of Christ, willing submission. That means that you're his servant, you obey. Matthew, it's in, in you know, Matthew talks about at the, at the very last verse, go ye therefore among all the nations, teaching them what? What are we to teach them? To do, to keep all that I have commanded you. That's being subject to him. As we continue with this definition, the word in, to, to be fully joined, and to those whose power and influence he is subject, such that the former may be likened in the place in which the latter live and move. When we start to read these definitions, it's where the rubber meets the road, and all of a sudden, we need to start making very intentional decisions with what are we going to do with our faith. Ephesians 3.19, we might be filled, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Fullness, the topmost measure of the power, presence, riches of Christ. You may feel all fullness with the, um, I'm trying to think here, with the extension and power and authority over a thing. It's all part of that definition. The extension of his power and authority. Okay, so that the questions here, as we see when we answer them, but the issue is not just healing. The issue is keeping the full counsel of God. If, as believers, we walk in obedience to these verses, then healing will, by default, be a part of who and what we are, who we are and what we do. Keep in mind, God is not usually calling us to walk up to everyone we see who needs healed, to lay hands and pray. But if he did, would we do it? This is a submission humility issue. Isaiah 8.14 says this. Um, with regards, God is talking to his people. With regards to this people, you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord God whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. Then he will become your sanctuary. Isaiah 11, verse 3. Also, let me read that for you here. This is talking about those um, that God is looking for in the last days. And it talks about they will be filled with the spirit, the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And this person, he will delight in the fear of the Lord, 
He will not judge by what his eyes see. He'll make decisions by what his ears hears. And that, again, is a sign of maturity. We will, when we, when we go and walk in obedience, and Adam touched on this, so often the belief systems are born out of our experience. We didn't see something happen. So we're going to judge by what our eyes see. We judge by the Word of God. The Word of God says, lay hands on the other shield. That's, so that's our judgment on it. It's not what we see. We don't judge by what our eyes see. We will only be free to judge well and accurately if it is only the Lord whom we fear. Another question. If you're listening to this podcast, the question is, why? Is the fear of the Lord, is Jesus himself, calling you to a place of greater intimacy? Are you being called into the oracle of God? Where you meet with Jesus and get to know him. I mean, really know him. Because the oracle is a Psalm 91 reality. And what Jesus has revealed in his example is a revealing, oh, excuse me, what Jesus revealed in his example and is revealing in his word is that everything we've discussed in these last nine chapters. What the scriptures reveal regarding healing when compared to the practice of God's people today, their witness to the truth of Nehemiah. Indeed, our walls need rebuilt because behind them is the place of protection. To go, everyone reads 91, Psalm 91, that's the go-to. Well, Psalm 91 is not a verse that you can just grab when times get rough. It's a verse that has to be lived in. It applies when it's lived in. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This refuge, this fortress, you are behind the walls. Verse 3, for he, it is he who will deliver you from the snare of the trapper. That's the demonic oppression. He, he will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. That's illness, sickness, and disease. You'll not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, demonic oppression, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. That's the disease, the death, the dying, the destruction. So um, the one, um, God's call, basically, God's call in these last days is a call to the oracle. It's a place of intimacy and it's a place of protection. And complete protection is provided in the full counsel of God. My guess is if you're listening to this podcast today, it's because the Lord is tugging at your heart and you're responding. It is time, it is a time to prepare to overcome issue. It is a time to prepare to overcome issue. It's a time to prepare to get the foot of your enemy off your neck to put him where he rightfully belongs, beneath the feet of Jesus who lives in you. A final question. Did all the demons leave the earth when Jesus went to heaven? Because unless all demons left the earth with Jesus, they remain a force to be reckoned with today. Satan wins if believers do not stand up. There is none other who can do this. Satan's only defeated by Jesus and believers who are walking in him and through him. The reason I bring this issue up is because, Adam, even as you can attest, very often when we are operating in the ministry of healing, it's only accomplished through the casting out of demons. Deliverance and healing very often go hand in hand. And you had talked about this. You know, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, but, you know, can you, can you give us examples? You did earlier. You talked about anxiety and depression are the problems with stomach issues. Can you give examples? you know, in your experience where the healing was accomplished when the demonic oppression was recognized and when the demons were cast out, then the healing occurred. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, specifically from a family standpoint, I know that my daughter, for some reason, when she was about two years old, she was waking up 
you know, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and just wailing for probably about three hours straight, maybe four. And it was like three nights in a row. And I knew something was wrong. And finally, of course, it took four days or three days. I finally just asked the Lord. And I had her in my arms. And she wasn't two. Now that I think about it, she was more like six months. So I, I held her in my arms. And the Lord's like, it's a demon, a colic. And I didn't say demon. He just said colic. Cast colic out of her. So I picked her up in my arms. And I said, in Jesus' name, colic leave and she goes from wailing to sound asleep and then she slept through the night and she slept through the night from there on out and i i remember looking at my wife and both of our eyes this is our firstborn both of our eyes were like whoa that was awesome and then it changed my idea of parenting because there's a spiritual force behind a lot of these things if not all of them. And you have to address that first because our war isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers in the air. So you realize that there's a spiritual war getting waged every day, every night, and you have to be ready for it and prepared for it. And you can only prepare for that at his feet, at Jesus's feet in intimacy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's another one too. So uh, now this is when she was to my daughter. You know, she had my firstborn had a stomach issue. And I will always remember this. I get a call from my wife, and she's like, You need to come home. Something's wrong. And I was like, Okay. And it was at the end of the day anyway. So I ended up leaving early. I was driving my car back home. And at that time, you know, I was speaking in tongues, speaking in the spirit. And I show up at my house, I walk in the door, and there is my lifeless looking child, pale as a ghost, not moving. Like literally, you pick her arm up, it drops right back down. It was literally dead weight. And my wife is bawling. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've prayed for her. And so I pick her up in my arms and I say, and what comes to me is spirit of death. I command you to leave all spirits of infirmity. I command you to leave and stomach be healed now. And I look down at her and all of a sudden her, her face gets flush with color. And she, and she opens her eyes and she's like, Hey, Daddy. And then I, I, you know, take my arms, I lower her down to her feet. She goes, and hey, Mommy. And then she runs to Mommy and gives her a big hug. Okay, so at that time, I could have been thinking other kingdom. I could have been thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, this is so horrible, blah, 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 blah. And I could be starting to worry, panic, and so on and so forth. But then said, no, I know who my God is. I know who I represent. I know what I've been given in him, and I know that he lives in me, and I live in him. And together we're one. And if we're moving as one, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, then I know that he's going to take care of the problem. And and I'm rejoicing in that. Like, I'm speaking in tongues driving the car. I'm rejoicing, you know. I, while Although I'm speaking tongues in the car, I'm also, in my mind, rejoicing and praising him. Um, and that's why it's so important when we're walking through this is that you have to understand what the truth can do and the truth can set you free. Now, I have had so many arguments and I do, well, I would like to tackle just a couple. Like a lot of people will say Job. All right. They're like, well, what about Job? Well, first off, we don't know what Job, what the covenant of Job was. Like what covenant was he in? We don't know. On top of that, we realize that God got the blame for what Satan was doing. Although God allowed it, Satan was the one doing it. I mean, and that's why we see that picture prior to that discussion that Satan and God have. 
So we start seeing that in the scriptures. So then, then they say, oh, the fire from God fell down. It's like, no, that was actually fire from Satan. Satan was the one doing it. Now, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So if we see Satan doing a work, we there are there to destroy it now. You know, a lot of people mention Paul's thorn. You know, Paul's thorn, keep reading, you'll find out what Paul's thorn is. Literally, it's like, was a, was a, they said, a Paul's thorn in the flesh was a harassing angel or a messenger of Satan to harass Paul. Now, that harass is beat with fist. We also go back into numbers. It, it tells you what, it, what a thorn is. And Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. It's an outside circumstance. These are people, outside people, beating up Paul. Demonically charged people beating up Paul. Demonically influenced people beating up Paul. It, it's not like it was a sickness or disease because he walked into a, a island and he healed all of them. You know, and he understood who he was in Christ. He understood all of that. You know, and like you said, Debbie, we're called to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means following Jesus. It's not like if he's walking down this road, if he's walking down this road and healing people, we walk down the road and we heal people. It's as simple as that. And Paul even says, imitate me because I'm of Christ. Okay, imitate Paul. Okay, what did Paul do? Well, he was doing all the things that Jesus was doing. Okay, so we need to do that. It hasn't ceased because he's saying, imitate me. That means look like him, act like him, function like him, which is exactly what the disciples did back then. Now, I, I hear a lot of people say something along the lines of, oh, well, that's just not my gift. Okay, it's not my gift. Well, okay, what if I were to say, if I'm not being peaceful or if I'm not being joyful, well, guys, that's just not my fruit. Yeah, it's just not my fruit. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's just not my fruit. I mean, then you look at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And th there's a lot of people that say that, like that, oh, it's not my, it's not my gift. Uh, un unfortunately, though, I know what they're trying to say, but if we were to go to, you know, that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it even says in, in this, this statement, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Okay, so there's one spirit. There may be a variety of gifts, but there's one spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. Let's say that again. God who empowers them all in every one. So we look at it as a gift, as a gift for us. It's not true. Do we look, does a tree think that the fruit is for the tree? No, the fruit's not for the tree. It's for others. So are the gifts. A gift of healing is not for me. It's for the person. So that's what we have to really wrap our minds around because it's so important because we can get easily distracted by this, or we can talk ourselves out of who we are. So we're saying, okay, Holy Spirit, because we think it's us. We think, oh, this is my gift. It's like, no, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's empowering you. So it's like, oh, someone needs healing over here. Well, Holy Spirit can't do that because I can't, if I can't, I can't heal anybody. No, it's not you healing them. It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's, it's your belief system is actually quenching the Spirit, and it's a belief system. And the thing is, is we wrap our minds around that belief system based off of an experience. If one person, I know one person, he went out and tried laying hands and praying and it failed. So he's like, well, that's not my gift. It's like, whoa. I mean, it took Jesus twice to heal the blind man. I'm like, did you pray again? No. I'm like, well, it took Jesus twice to heal someone's eyes. It was only partially healed because the guy just saw trees. He's like, oh, I see something that these people look like trees, you know? So you start seeing, you start dissecting a lot of the issues. Is just, it's just a belief system. But I, 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 the last thing I say is this is, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And it says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, if we're talking, oh, well, no, prophecy is done. Well, why are we, why is Paul urging us to earnestly desire these spiritual gifts? I mean, earnestly desire. And that's what I started doing. When I read that, I'm like, you know what? I earnestly desire the gifts. Now, at the time, I'm like, 
If the gifts still exist, Father, I'm earnestly pursuing them, and I want to have them all. And then he sat down with me, and through the, a year, he worked it all out through me, what, what this is, and he was helping me develop this. And, and it was more so, I was, what it was, it was a development of confidence in knowing that the manifestation of God, let's say in healing or prophecy or tongues or this, is going, it can happen. And not only can it happen, it will happen for those who believe. So I started really like, oh my gosh, this is, it's actually pretty simple because it's not me who's doing it, it's the Holy Spirit. My analogy that I usually tell people, it's like, I hate using that, like, it's like Batman and his utility belt, okay? I hate to put the spirit kind of in that kind of box, but that's what it is. Like, so Batman uses a utility belt for various things. He's got various things he can go to that fit the situation. So if a situation arises where, you know, this person needs a word of knowledge, the Holy Spirit, I literally just ask, Lord, what does this person need? And it's like this, and boom, gives me a word. And then I say that word, and it's like the person starts crying. How did you know that? Blah, 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 blah. And then I share with them Jesus, okay? And the same thing with um, someone needs healing. Now, this in particular, I know you, you mentioned, um, you know, from a demonic oppression standpoint, you know, this person had arthritis just completely destroying his body. Now, I remember praying one time, and I was like, in Jesus' name, all arthritis leave. Well, it didn't leave. And then I sat back, I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, that was me in the flesh, moving out. What do you say? What is this? And then Holy Spirit says, it was abuse. So then I'm like, okay, abuse. I then say, hey, and I mentioned abuse, you know, long story short, that happened uh, in, in the life of this, this believer. And then I laid hands. I said, in Jesus' name, abuse, leave. And boom, the arthritis was gone. You know, so I was actually, the, the first time, I was trying to complete something in the flesh instead of in the spirit. Now, that's what a lot of people start out at. They start doing things in the flesh and they're not seeing results. Therefore, they say, I don't have the gift. It's like, no, you have yet to actually have the Spirit move in your life. You know, and then and I, I can give you testimony of, you know, people whose eyes cannot see or cannot see well, and they're 2020 now. I've had people who cannot hear can hear. I've, there's people in wheelchairs that have been pulled up, and people are like, I don't believe you. I'm like, I have, I have a video of that. And they're like, oh, they're actors. Okay. I apparently there's an actor that's in an airport that randomly is waiting for me and we're we're acting this whole scene out in an airport that I've only been at once. You know, I'm not there to to convince you of of this. I'm not here to convince you at all of that. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit. I I, I can't do that. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to debate with you. Um, I'm just here to to shed some light on a subject that I know is is a very difficult one for some people. And I know that there's a lot of misconceptions and I know that there are a lot of people, and I do know there's a lot of, of, of people that are, are doing things. Um, they're taking the, this, this idea of healing and they're making money off of it. And I can tell you that's not right at all. Like at all, that's not biblical, you know? And it's like, oh, so now they're, they're getting rich off of this gifting you know, that these, that they have, you know, and it's like, well, that's not, that's not Jesus guys. You know, that's not Jesus at all. You know, and the problem though with that, with people that are doing that is now you're making, you're, you're making it look like, oh, well, a lot of Christians are like, well, I don't want that, you know, and then it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. You know, so, I mean, and those are just a couple examples. You know, I've seen Parkinson's leave. This woman's hands were shaking. And this is at that, uh, that, that very same airport. And her hands were shaking, like literally shaking, shaking. And she was in crazy amount of pain. And due to the Parkinson's too. And I said, in Jesus' name, Parkinson's leave. And the shake, my hands went from shaking because well, her hands were shaking. So they, it just stopped. And she looked at me and she started bawling. She started by, and then there was a, a good amount of a crowd around me, a good amount meaning like five, six people. And they were all like, whoa, 
what just happened? And then all of a sudden she's walking. She's walking. And these people are like, who are you? And I'm like, it's not about who I am. It's about who he is. It's like Jesus loves you and he thinks the world of you. And that gets me to the last thing that you mentioned, Debbie. And this is why it's so important um, when we're, we're walking through this. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, it talks about love. It's love. Do you love people? Do you want to set them free? Because if you know, you can set them free. Which God gives you that ability to set people free. Because Jesus lives in you and he wants to set those people free. It comes down to love. Do you love them? Do you want them to be set free? How willing are you to sacrifice your life, your, let's say, dignity, you know, and go into a situation and be like, I want to help you and lay hands and pray. And if nothing happens, if nothing happens, this is encouraging. If nothing happens, you've blessed them with love. You've blessed them with love. And more people are responsive to the fact that you took time out of your day to go over there and pray for them, to notice them, to love them. And that in and of itself is more powerful than anything else. Just that, mm-hmm. and, and and that's what you mentioned, Debbie. You know, and, and you could tell I'm I'm pretty passionate uh, uh, about this this topic, and um, it's one of those topics that I've you know I've studied quite a bit, and um and just I I just want to summarize some things from a conclusion standpoint, okay. And this is just what Scripture says, okay. It says believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Believers is the key word. Do you believe? You know, then it says, if someone is sick in the church community, the elders will be called to pray and anoint with oil, and the elders are people. Those elders are mature Christians. Now, that mature also means perfect. So they are grown up in love. They're grown up to become the head. And it says, the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. That word save is sozo, which deals with spiritual healing, physical healing, and delivered from demonic attack. And then you look at the same spirit of that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. Do you believe this? I mean, that's the, do you believe what the word of God says? Or is your opinion or your experience dictating what scripture says? You know, Peter laid hands and commanded the body to line up with the will of God because he knew the will of God. I mentioned before, Jesus laid hands on the blind man twice, and then his vision was completely restored. He didn't give up. He's like, okay, come back here. On top of that, Jesus didn't heal the same way. So it's whatever the Holy Spirit, like sometimes I'm laying hands on feet, sometimes on knees, sometimes on backs. Sometimes I'm not laying hands at all. I'm just, I'm standing a little bit further back and I'm just praying for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people, the last thing is a lot of people say, well, they blame the person. And this is horrible. They'll be like, well, if your faith was strong enough, you would have gotten healed from my hands. It's like, what? No, now now you're putting the blame on that person? And I've dealt with somebody like this. He's like, and this one guy's like, dude, if you say that, I'm walking out right now. And I was like, whoa. And you can tell he had all this anger and bitterness to someone who said that to him. And I'm so, and I, I didn't know what to say. I was very early in walking in this. And I'm like, whoa, like I I'm like I, I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm he was hurt very badly by that. Because then not only is he going through a physical problem, he now is get getting put on guilt because it's his fault. And it's like, whoa, that's not Jesus. You know, and then and what squashes that argument is I always ask, well, did Lazarus have faith? He was dead. He was dead. He did not have any faith because he was dead. And then Jesus raised him from the dead. The faith is comes, the faith, the faith 
is of the believer that is laying hands. Is of the believer that's laying hands. And if you're mm -hmm. led by that Holy Spirit, and I can't stress enough, getting alone with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, He's going to guide you. He's going to guide you, and He's going to guide you, and He's going to speak to you, and He's going to show you things about someone's life that is going to set them free. It's just, are you willing to take that step out and act in faith? So that's really all I have. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And I know we're getting towards the end. So I'll, I'll be quick to this. Another thing I'd like to say, you had said, do you love them enough? And it is, this is a the healing, just a part of what is going on here. This isn't just a healing issue. This is a love issue. This is a submission, a humility issue. Yeah, this is an overcoming issue. And finally, it's a protection issue. It's that rebuilding of the wall. And I'd like to just share data 5-5 five, five and uh, walk through this just for real quick, just a real quick minute here. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and hewed out, of, and hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its heads and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. This is God's opinion on the matter. Look what he says. He's going to sing of his well-beloved concerning his vineyard. His beloved, that's his people, his vineyard. He had a well-beloved, a vineyard on a fertile hill. That's his people, believers, on a fertile hill. We've been brought into the promised land. We've been brought into our salvation. And he dug it all around, removed its stones. He says, I will remove your heart of stone, and I will replace it and give you a heart of flesh. He goes on, and I planted it with a choice of vine. Jesus is the vine. He planted the vine. And I built a tower in the middle of it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. And he hewed out a wine bed in it, the Holy Spirit. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. When we go back to our teaching on words, worthless, that which does not prove to be such as it ought to be. That which has been equipped, that which has been equipped to accomplish a work and it it doesn't and now oh inhabitants of jerusalem and men of judah god's talking to his people judge between me and my vineyard what more was there for me to do for my vineyard that i have not already done god is saying what more can i do i have given you the full equipping to to, to, for the, for, to, to meet the needs for the purpose for whom you have been appointed. And, and, and like just the soil in Hebrews 6 that was provided with the rain to produce the, to produce the fruit, but it produced only thorns and, 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 and thistles. And, did, and it was worthless because it, it, did not, it did not provide what it was required or, or expected to provide for those for whom it had been tilled. And I see, I'm God, I, God said, I'm expecting my vineyard to produce good grapes because I've done everything it needs and it's necessary, and yet it produced thorns and thistles. What am I going to do now with my vineyard? To remove the hedges and the walls. They, they break down the walls, and by, by result of this, by reason of this, it becomes trampled and it's laid waste. Again, the issue here, the foundational issue that all this is being built on is what is God doing? What is God doing? God has an enemy who needs defeating by those who have dominion over 
the earth, people. His kingdom needs overspreading of the earth. The Genesis mandate. Go and rule and subdue the earth. All right? And then finally, you know, God has a purpose. And his purpose is that his name would be made great in all the earth. He says in Malachi, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. My name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. This is the issue. The name of God is he brought before, revealed to the sons of all the earth, that it may glorify him. The name of God signifies the whole self-disclosure of who God is in holiness and truth. And it can be walked in. That's the point. The name of the Lord is closely associated with the glory of the Lord. God's physical manifestation among his people is seen in the Old Testament in such instances as those relating to the ark, the angel of the Lord, the pillar of smoke and fire, and most significantly, the New Testament revelation of Jesus Christ. Both the glory of God and the name of God are his means of self-disclosure. To be great in this context means an increase in number, to become multiplied to a greater degree. It denotes becoming more numerous or greater in size to cause to grow. As noted, the glory of God is his self-disclosure among his people by his manifested character as seen in the lives of his sanctified ones. In addition, God's name is self-disclosure. God's name can be walked in by those sanctified, thereby reflecting his glory as well. Walking in obedience develops sanctification that reflects God's character and his name. This brings him glory. We see in both instances that man glorifies God only when reflecting him, and it's God's requirement that we do so. The end result of representing God accurately is revealing to all the peoples the splendor of God's glory and truth. Thus, his reputation increases in scope, such that indeed his name is great in all the earth. When we start to annul parts of God's word, then these goals that God has for his purpose to be accomplished through his people will be severely compromised. To annul would cause a believer to not be numbered among those who will rebuild the ancient ruins, not be numbered among those more ready to apprehend divine things. God is on the move. But it's our, it's our decision as to whether or not we're going to join him in his work. That's the issue. No, that's really good. Um, and honestly, you know, in closing, I, uh, I was thinking about it. And you have in Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity. Of course, we don't question that. Who heals all your diseases. Whoa. That's a question mark. Who f so who forgives all your iniquity is, oh yeah, without a doubt. Who heals all your diseases? Uh, I don't know about that. What well, says don't forget all his... dividing a verse? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Why are you dividing a verse here? All of a sudden, it's like, bless the Lord all my soul... Don't forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like eagles. That's his benefits. Those are his benefits. You can't pick and choose which one of those benefits to believe or not believe. Well, technically, you can choose to pick. Unfortunately, then, you will be destroyed for lack of knowledge, which is in Hosea 4.6. Because it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. So we have just given you scripture, straight scripture. If you reject it based off of your experience or your opinion, unfortunately, that's pride. And, and that's unfortunate. And, and I can't speak, I love anyone who's listening, I love you guys. I want to see victory in your life. And lastly, I know I had somebody who was speaking, I was speaking with, and they didn't want to be healed for some reason. 
and uh, that's their choice. But what I told them is, Jesus' reward when he was whipped was for you to be set free. That's his reward. Don't take Jesus' reward and, and hold on to it. You know what I mean? His reward was for you to go free. Why would you, why would you stop that? You know, that was, that's what, that was his, it's like his trophy. His trophy is for you to be set free of your sins, of your iniquity, of your disease. That's his benefit. That's what he wants you to have. Don't, don't keep that from him. That's his reward for us to you to go free. You know, and when you put it in that sense, you, then the guy's like, you know what, you're right. And, and there yeah, was, good. and there was reasons why he was holding on. So I understand there's, there's past hurts and there's, there's things of that nature. But anyways, that's all I have to say about healing. I know we've, we've hit an hour so far in our talk, which is great actually, because it is, it covers two parts. Healing covers part one and part two. It covers two chapters. So we did knock out these two chapters um, in one hour. Uh, Debbie, do you have anything else to say in conclusion? No, that is all, Adam. All right. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. And uh, everybody listening, I hope that you, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, there's there's links to the website for this. Uh, feel free to do that. And uh, look forward to next week's lesson or next week's chapter. And this is going to be on spiritual warfare. All right. Take care, Debbie. Thank you. Bye.